0: go toe-to-toe with the difficult times that are coming our way that is the big question that we're going to be exploring today at Bible Shots and welcome welcome everyone to Bible Shots it's great to have you joining us I am Lachlan I work with City Bible Forum and we run Bible Shots uh, because we think the Bible has something really important and relevant to say to us today so we set time aside during the week during the middle of the day to actually consider what that is and it's Bible Shots because Well, like an espresso shot, we hope uh, that the talk will be short, punchy, but have an impact on you and leave you energised for the rest of the afternoon. Uh, You may have never opened a Bible before, and that's okay. Our speakers work to try and make the Bible as accessible as possible. Uh, Now, not everyone who comes along and tunes into Bible Shots would be a follower of Jesus, but as long as you're happy to consider what the Bible has to say, we're glad to have you joining us, and we're glad to have you uh, engage in question time as well. Uh, So if you've never been before, we have a pretty simple meeting. Uh, It's a very simple format. We look at part of the Bible together, we hear a talk on that part of the Bible, and then there's a chance for Q&A and engagement with that. And if you'd like to engage in Q&A, you can use the Q&A function if you've joined us live via Zoom, or if you're on Facebook Live, uh, you can post comments or questions in the comments section uh, and one of the uh, city bible forum staff will be trying to keep an eye on those and will send those through to me uh, to be able to send your questions to rob in q a time uh, we're starting a new series today we're starting a new series on jesus versus suffering uh, rob martin who is based in melbourne for the city bible forum team is going to be our speaker for the next five weeks uh, rob welcome to bible shots it's
1: great to be here lachlan thanks for the invitation
0: Oh, you are very welcome. Uh, now, before we look at the Bible, uh, we'd just like to you know, start getting to know you a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, what does a typical day look like for you at the moment uh, with what you do with City Bible Forum and just in the midst of COVID and isolation?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. It's a challenging season in many ways, although I have three uh, three kids or um, two of them in primary school, one in junior high school in year eight. Uh, and so the day is, looking, is is a bit of sort of, Um, managing all of that. So I do try to get out for a morning walk where I listen to some podcasts or listen to some of the other City Bible Forum events, et cetera, which is just, I I really like that as a nice start to the day. We live very close to a park. But then I'll sit down usually by about nine o'clock. The kids are all on their screens and all starting the day of work. And I would tend to do some work as well uh and then basically we kind of sit around on screens until about five o'clock when it stops then we have dinner so it's pretty pretty simple i think we've actually appreciated the simplicity of life at the moment we don't head out very much we haven't head out headed out very much um in recent times but it's been nice uh in that sense i think um yeah i i, I can go into a bit more detail about what you know we uh, some of the different things that we have like you know tuesday night's bible bible reading night with the kids and we read that and then Uh, But apart from that, the life is pretty much the same. I suppose it's like everybody else at this stage. Although we are getting out a bit more. We do try to get out and do some walks and things as well, which we're able to do here um, in Victoria. In Victoria, we do have slightly still more um, uh, restrictive about what we can and can't do. It's it's in other states around the country. So that does make an impact on what we can and can't do as well.
0: Ooh, thanks, Rob. Uh, now today we're starting a new series on Jesus versus suffering, and the talk uh, is actually called Jesus versus suffering. And we're going mm-hmm. to uh, read uh, a part of the Bible uh, that I think some of us, uh, you know, if, depending on what our attention spans are like, might actually think, "Oh, just reading this feels like a bit of a suffering exercise." <laughs> uh, is, is this genealogy, uh, you know, it, why why are we going to look at this? Uh, you know, it, how does this relate to suffering? I guess well, you are
1: got to listen to the talk. We'll to the <laughs> so talk. I'm going I'm to unpack yeah. it a bit.
0: I mean, this I think more in, than just a, a, an exercise in, uh, oh gosh, that was a bit to get through.
1: Oh, well, <laughs> maybe, maybe maybe it is. Some, some people actually really enjoy genealogies in some parts and some cultures of the world. Genealogies are very significant to show connection to history and to ancestors, etc. So I think we can't, sometimes our culture dismisses things like genealogies a bit too easily, but but I think what I'm going to unpack is a couple of stories and a couple of little nuggets in there, which I think begin the, to make us think about suffering in the context of what the Bible has to say and how suffering um, perhaps has formed part of the story of God, uh, which we st- start to see bits of in the genealogy. So we're not going to spend masses of time on the genealogy. We're just going to unpack a, little, a few little nuggets, but you'll have to listen carefully to find where the nuggets are.
0: Okay, excellent. Well, uh, we'll we'll look at this. And so uh, it's good to know that even as we're reading it, if we're kind of going, wait, hang on, what's going on here? Uh, We're going to be unpacking that. So uh, I'm going to screen share here uh, the Bible passage. Uh, If you would like to uh, look at it, we're looking at Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. Uh, So you can see it on your screens now. If you'd like to jump to Bible Gateway yourself or have your own Bible open, um, please feel free to do that. Um, But let's uh, read this together. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Amminadab, Amminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asa, Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, Jehoram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amon, Amon, the father of Josiah and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, Abiud, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Akim, Akim, the father of Elihud. Elihud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Methan, Methan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus who is called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Thank you, Rob
1: congratulations lachlan that was outstanding you've done a brilliant job of reading that out so thank you very much for that and thank you once again for for joining us today as we begin this discussion on jesus versus suffering now, i want to start by sharing a story a number of years ago i had a conversation with an older woman in a shopping center in sydney you now i used to I used to live in sydney and i was preparing a bible study on a on a bench and she sat down next to me and saw me no i didn't say anything i was just reading it and she saw the bible and then she asked me if i was a christian and I said, yeah, I was. And then she asked me why. Now, before I could answer, and I fact, before I could say anything, she just said, oh, I couldn't believe in God. There's just too much suffering in the world. Now, I didn't have a chance to respond or to say anything. To her, suffering meant that she couldn't believe in God. And at her age, she probably had experienced and seen much suffering in her life. Now, Bart Ehrman is a popular New Testament scholar who's written many works criticizing uh, the Christian message, uh, things like books like Misquoting Jesus. Uh, And his works are very popular amongst atheists agnostics uh, who attempt to demonstrate the inaccuracy of the Bible. Now, atheists love to share Ehrman's deconversion story, his commitment, you know, his his story from going from a committed uh, evangelical to agnostic. Yet interestingly, Ehrman admits that it isn't his New Testament scholarship which prompted his deconversion. Instead, it was the problem of suffering and evil. He couldn't reconcile a good God with the suffering and the evil that he observes in the world. And the issue of the silence or inactivity of God amidst pain and suffering is a very real question that we've battled even this year. As we've first uh, seen catastrophic bushfires, now a global pandemic, and now there's riots and injustice and unrest right across the, the United States and around the world so welcome to a series of suffering over the next five weeks we're going to explore some big questions of pain and suffering in our world we're going to consider why there's suffering how the bible responds to suffering and how we should live in light of suffering but i think as we start as we unpack this st- this problem further we should um start with the problem itself Now, i'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, the problem of evil but it's an actually an ancient problem it goes back to the greek philosopher epicurus uh, well before uh, before christ and the problem is actually in a, in the a form of an argument it's a series of propositions and it's usually framed like this and i'll just outline the argument and then i'll explain how it works so first first premise is that god is all-powerful then secondly god is all-loving third evil exists in this world created by this god now if god is all-powerful then he could eliminate evil if God is all-loving, then he would eliminate evil. However, since evil exists in this world, it must mean, this is the argument's conclusion, it must mean that God isn't either all-powerful or all-loving. God must be uh, impotent, wicked, or imagina- imaginary. Now, do you start to, to see the problem? Because it is a substantial problem for the Christian faith, and people recognise the problem at both an experiential and intellectual levels experiential perhaps the way that my the woman that i met on the park bench or on the, on the shopping center bench felt and also at an intellectual level someone like bart Ehrman, what he's felt as well and it's both a, a problem and a barrier for both people like that so christians are not aware of this and there has been an attempt to solve the problem of evil and it's occupied philosophers in fact for centuries many have attempted to resolve the intellectual problem of evil Now, I once found a response by a Christian philosopher in an essay entitled, The Problem of Evil and Reasonable Christian Responses. Now, the essay was coherently written, uh, gave philosophically sound response, and he proposed two philosophical reasons for why God permits evil. One, evil is necessary for character development, and two, evil is necessary for free will. So i'll just unpack those a little bit first he says that evil is necessary for character development now this is actually a common experience in life and i'm sure that we've all been the better for periods of suffering in our lives so much so that the great german philosopher friedrich nietzsche once said that which does not kill us makes us stronger so we are in general better people for having suffered we're more resilient more patient more empathetic more determined we're stronger now the second philosophical defence here is the free will defence. That's a it's that it's a it's a, lar- it's a large thing that we can think about, but I'll just unpack it very briefly. It's that, that free will is what makes uh, it possible for pe- people to be morally good or evil. You can't have good or evil without a choice, and this has been made famous by another philosopher by the name of Alvin Plantinga. Now the world in which this this, this sorry the world in which there is suffering is the best of all possible worlds. Now there's many philosophers who actually believe that the free will defense actually works intellectually it does provide a philosophical solution to the problem of evil as described now whilst i think there's definitely merit to these ideas um, i feel there's a couple of problems with this approach now my main difficulty with these responses is that somehow evil somehow becomes necessary or almost a good Now, I think this is problematic because I think as we regard evil and suffering, I think we should think evil and suffering is always evil and always wrong. So, hence to say that it's somehow necessary makes it a good, I think it's problematic. Furthermore, then you could ask the other question so, how much suffering then does God need to permit to make it justifiable? So, it's unclear then how much suffering then becomes necessary. And for some, suffering seems disproportionate and unrelated to human will and decision. Therefore, the problem of evil doesn't have easy answers. But my biggest problem, I suppose, with uh, this method of this particular philosopher is that he's, is his method. Because he's actually used um, philosophy to work out why God allows suffering. Now, I think there's a legitimacy to that to to an extent, but I think that ultimately this approach is somewhat flawed. Why is that? Well, I'm going to ask a prior and perhaps uh, even bigger question. Um, how do we know anything about god at all and to answer that i'm going to ask you a very big question which perhaps will help it's very profound perhaps you could comment in the chat or wherever you are to see if you can answer this question it's a very profound question i'd like you to answer what is my favorite color okay there's another question that i want to ask maybe another equally profound one what's the name of my first pet or the third deep profound question which will help with this uh, big question of suffering is where did i start school now don't get me wrong i don't have pretensions of grandeur here i'm not suggesting that i somehow am a god but my point is that the only way that we can really know these things my favorite color the name of my first pet or where i started school is if what if i tell them to you if i reveal them and it's similar with God. I think we can know things about God. Um we can, I think the only way to really know something about God is if he actually tells us something about himself. We can really only truly know God if he reveals himself. And so hence how has God revealed himself? Well, he's revealed himself in all sorts of different ways. The book of Hebrews as a, a chapter uh, the beginning of the book of Hebrews uh, says this. In chapter in uh, chapter 1 verses 1 to 2, in the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. So in the past, God did speak through various different, many and various different ways. He spoke through prophets, using dreams, visions, signs, angels. Uh, But I don't think that he used tea leaves. There's no recorded instances of that. But he used all these various different types of communications. And they've all been recorded for us in the scriptures. And this is why the scriptures are so important because God speaks to us through them. So if we want to know God, we read the Bible. That's why we do Bible shots, so that we can understand God a bit better. But Hebrews is also saying that God has spoke most profoundly through his Son. Jesus is the ultimate point in God's revelation to us. Jesus is the primary and the best way in which we know God. Another biography of Jesus' life in John 1, John 1, 18, says, No one has ever seen God. But God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, has made him known. So some ask, well, why is God so hidden? Well, if you lived 2,000 years ago, went to Palestine, you could have shaken his hand. You could have given him a high five or perhaps these days an elbow bump. Uh, But you could have eaten with him, drunk with him and tried to teach him cricket. You could have met God. God revealed himself through Jesus. He became flesh and he became uh, one of us and lived with us. So the best way, therefore, is to know anything about God is if he reveals himself to us. And God has revealed himself most comprehensively through the person and work of Jesus. So perhaps this could be the starting point to resolve complex questions of the Christian faith. Perhaps um, philosophy is valid, I'm not suggesting it's not, but maybe rather than starting there, we could explore how God solves suffering as he has been revealed to us. So to answer the problem of how a loving and powerful God could allow pain and suffering in the world, well, wouldn't be the best answer to ask him. Ask the one who came as God, as flesh into our world. New York best-selling author, sorry, New York Times bestselling author, Tim Keller captures this idea in his book, Encounters with Jesus, where someone once asked him, why can't you give me a watertight, why can't you give me a watertight argument for the existence of God? and Keller responds by saying well what if god didn't send us a watertight argument but a watertight person jesus christ against in the end there can be no argument so jesus comes to be the answer to our deep questions so this is the the project for this series jesus versus suffering we're going to look at uh, the jesus in the gospel of matthew a gospel which begins with the theme god with us god come to dwell and reveal himself and in fact this was the very project that i encountered about nearly six years ago after my mum passed away very suddenly um, i read through the gospel of matthew and seeing what i had to say about suffering and in many ways these talks are the, the result of that explore, exploration and that experiment so we can look at jesus versus suffering what he tells us about it, how he responds to it how he deals with it so we can ask jesus our question so jesus why is there suffering in the world He might even have answers for the woman that I met on the bench at that shopping centre or for sceptics, for atheists like Bart Ehrman. So as we start this project, this uh, experiment, why don't we reflect then briefly on the genealogy of Matthew, which Lachlan read so beautifully uh, uh, earlier, the opening sentences to this gospel. Now, a genealogy is a family history and the genealogy shows that uh, uh, Jesus is descended from Abraham. The one to whom the promises of nationhood are given. And Jesus is also descended in the kingly line of Judah, through the great kings of Israel, through uh, David and Solomon. But if we look more closely at the list of names, we notice that the genealogy in Matthew is based on a pattern. So X was the father of Y. Hence, for example, Jeconica was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and so on. Yet the pattern is broken in just a few, uh, in several places. If you look very closely in verse two there, it says Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Then there's verse three, there's Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, King David. Uh, Verse six, Uriah's wife, Jeconiah, his brother's husband of Mary. Verse 16. So why would the author do this? Well, I think he does it to reveal and highlight something special, something important because notice that the genealogy includes five women which is strange yet stranger still is that four of these women aren't israelites so tamar was a daughter of a canaanite woman rahab was a canaanite living in the land of jericho ruth was a moabite and the mother, mother of solomon bathsheba was who was married to uriah the Hitt- was a hittite so these foreign women are unexpected ones through whom god works non-israelite women were ancestors of jesus king of israel jesus god's king so this is surprising and unexpected and it shows that god works through the unexpected in unexpected ways to bring about his purposes but it also shows us that the god of the bible doesn't answer or always fit our convenient philosophical categories for example some claim that god is misogynist yet women here are mentioned as being crucial in bringing about god's purposes epicurus claims that evil cannot exist in a world created by an all-powerful god yet closer examination of these stories summarized in this genealogy shows that suffering has formed a part of the plans of god perhaps making the problem of evil a bit too simple take a couple of examples verse two jacob the father of judah and his brothers now the brothers here are the 12 brothers they're famous they're the they form the 12 tribes of of israel some of the patriarchs now, Judah is the significant character for the purposes of Matthew's genealogy, for he was the one with the royal promises. But Matthew here refers to his brothers. I think this is a way of acknowledging the significance of the 12 tribes in the history of Israel. But it also alludes to the particular significance of Joseph. Now, Joseph's story is one of suffering and misfortune. You read about it in, in Genesis chapters th- th- 37 to 50. Yet through Joseph, the promises of God... Sorry, I've just lost my... Yes, so yet through Joseph, the nation of Israel was saved. Now, Joseph suffered terrible suffering. He was disowned and sold by his brothers and thrown into a well. He went to Egypt where he was accused falsely by Potiphar's wife, and he suffered unjustly. Then the Israelites also suffer famine and the threat of starvation, which brought them to Egypt to buy grain and then to meet up with Joseph again. Again, you can read the story in, in the latter part of Genesis. But through this awful situation, God brought good. So in Joseph 50, 19 to 20, Joseph says to his brothers, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So God used his suffering to bring about his purposes, to save his people so this incident actually challenges epicurus evil exists in various guises brotherly cruelty unjust accusations famine hunger yet god used this evil for his purposes rather than being a clear defeater in the existence of god the bible is clear in showing that god has actually used evil to bring about his purposes in this case the saving of many lives and we can see more about how God is used suffering in His purposes in one of the other women mentioned in verse five of the genealogy, the woman Ruth. Now, if you think you've had a, if you think you've had a hard life, then consider the story of Ruth. Um, Ruth was born at a time of famine and hardship. Her mother Naomi suffered a particularly hard life. Her husband died, and then her sons, of whom one of whom married Ruth, um, both died. Um, and we can feel Naomi's pain when she's left without her two sons and her husband. So poor Naomi, he was a woman who suffered. In fact, Naomi reflected on her situation. And in Ruth 1.13, Naomi says with tears, commenting that the Lord's hand has gone out against me. She saw the source of her suffering was actually God himself. In fact, she no longer wanted to be called Naomi, but Mara, because God had made her life very bitter. So she says in Ruth 1:20-21, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty but the Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So again, notice that Naomi acknowledges that God being the one to bring suffering on her, but she never questions God's existence. She never considers God imaginary. Now this story does raise lots of questions. Does this mean that, for example, does that mean that God isn't loving and he isn't good? Is he just a bringer of disaster, a, a cruel God who relishes in the pain and suffering of his people to bring about the ultimate good? Or is it all just a bit random? Well, we'll explore these questions in the coming weeks and we'll see what put these hard questions to Jesus himself. Yet in Ruth, we see a bit of an enigma. Whilst God has brought real pain and on Naomi, we can see that he does have care for his people. Ruth six: the Lord has come to the aid of his people by bringing food. And so, throughout the story of Ruth, we see, like the story of Joseph, God uses the suffering to bring about his purposes. Suffering is a bit more complex than our convenient philosophical categories. If Naomi hadn't suffered, she would never have returned to her homeland, Bethlehem, and to Judah. If Naomi hadn't suffered, Ruth would never have met Boaz. If Naomi hadn't suffered, Ruth and Boaz would have not had a son, Obed. And if Naomi hadn't suffered, there wouldn't have been a King David. And if Naomi hadn't suffered, there wouldn't be this genealogy and there wouldn't have been a Jesus. God used the pain and suffering of Naomi to bring about his purposes. So even here, I've just unpacked a couple of the little stories here in this genealogy of Matthew. If we strip back and see some of the stories underneath, you see the people in Jesus' family tree are very real and they suffer. God has used the pain and suffering of these real people to bring about his purposes and ultimately to bring us Jesus. Now, there's a lot to say here. I'm sure there's going to be plenty of questions and reflections. But at the very least, what this is saying is that suffering is not inconsistent with the God of the Bible. As we've seen, God has used suffering, hardship and trial to bring about his purposes and plans in the world. And that personally gives me a sense of peace and comfort, actually, that the Bible is not a cold, hard philosophical treatise. It's a very real and messy book that acknowledges and connects with our sufferings and experiences and our pain today. Now, biblical characters suffered far more than me, and they can still praise God. Hence, from the tiny glimpse we've already seen, the Bible itself acknowledges suffering as a reality of our experience, and it doesn't see suffering as a reason to reject God. And that did bring me personally, as I said, comfort and some peace uh, as I reflected in the aftermath of my mother's sudden death sudden death uh, nearly six years ago. so as I wrap up then now and be, as we begin let's open up with this series and we open up a lot of questions let's remember and consider what God has told us about suffering and its problem. How does a good God respond to suffering? how does he deal with it well. We're going to read through the rest of the Gospel of Matthew and read it in your own time, if you like, and and think about and see how suffering is dealt with. But as we read and ponder this, I'll give you a clue. There is good news in the end. So we come back next week. But anyway, so that's all I had to share today, Lachlan. I'm not sure if there's any questions or reflections or comments, but that's uh, a little bit of a, a starting introduction to the genealogy of Matthew and some of the stories behind that uh, to get us thinking.
0: thank you, Rob. Uh, Thank you for sharing. Uh, We do have time for Q and A. And so I've got a a couple of questions uh, here that I've got, but if you've got uh, questions for Rob based on what he said, or maybe that spring from some of the, things he said. Uh, you might like to uh, type your questions or your comments into the Q&A function. Uh, I see there are a couple of people with their hands up. Uh, the easiest way uh, to send your questions is through that Q&A function uh, that should be down at the, if you're, if you're on Zoom on your computer, it should just be um, uh, linked to down at the, the bottom of the screen. Or if you're on Facebook Live, type your questions in the comments section uh, and one of the City Bible Forum staff will send those through to me uh, as well. Um, now, uh, Rob, I think you started to touch on this, but uh, you did mention that um, oh, sorry, in, this, uh, in this genealogy, there's lots of suffering that's uh, not in the Bible. So, so there's suffering in the Bible and in this genealogy that sees okay, some of it is part of God's plan. Yeah. But there's a lot that's not. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, could, could you just uh, tease out a little bit more? So how does seeing this uh, in the genealogy in these specific instances of suffering, um, I guess, help us today when, when we're suffering?
1: Yeah, well, I I think I mentioned that near the end a little bit. I think it's just showing that the world of the Bible is a real world, that it's actually connected to the, it's not, as I said, it's not a philosophical treatise. The Bible is not written in some highfalutin uh, academic environment where we're just having a philosophical reflection on the world. It's actually a real book with real people engaging the issues of of reality and trying to wrestle with that and understand how God um, uh, has spoken to them and uh and and his purposes and plans for his people in those situations so i suppose it's really just trying to connect it to it's a very earthy book in that sense i, I suppose that's what are, one of the key things that i was trying to reflect on i think and it just shows you that it, it means that suffering jesus so i think i'll say this a bit more next week but jesus enters a world where suffering doesn't surprise him mm. it's not as though he comes and starts thinking oh gosh i'm i'm supposed to be god i am god in the flesh and now hang on, I'm also all powerful. I'm also all loving. Oh dear, this is a problem. I'm not sure if I can exist. So I think it's actually recognizing that the, the world of the Bible actually is written in our world. It's just, they're dealing with, in fact, world was actually much tougher than our world. We think that we've got it tough. I think that the reality of, we have much greater food security and other things. So I think that they had a very difficult life, but they didn't question the existence of God in the same way that we use that today as a philosophical question. So I think that's that's probably one of the, that was, that's where I was thinking about with reflecting on that
0: so so as uh so just to draw it together so while we sometimes today think this problem of suffering and evil uh, means all you know what we just can't believe the bible actually the bible doesn't see the problem of suffering and evil as something to be hidden away or to try and pretend no 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 don't look over here no
1: no in fact in fact almost the contrary as i said the story of um of Naomi. it's a it's a challenging one because if you see the way that uh she's been treated by god she actually as i said changes her name to mara because she believes god has made her life bitter And so uh, she doesn't curse God. She doesn't uh, ignore him or reject him, but she just feels as though uh, her life has become very, very difficult. And and actually God has been the the one behind that. And that's something that we can unpack in the, the coming weeks, but so it's, uh, so, so it's it, 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 and I'm not trying, and also I'm not trying to diminish the intellectual problem itself. Uh, the intellectual problem is definitely worth engaging and thinking through. And next week, we're going to begin exploring some of that in a bit more detail. As we see, I think Jesus encounters the, the very problem itself in a later part of Matthew. But um, uh, yeah, but, but I think I just want to say that, that there is just a reality of, that the Bible engages a real world. Uh, and that, yeah. The world that we live in, the world is, that is real
0: um and we're, we're just starting to go over time but one uh, question that's come through in the q a uh, section here yep. um, you initially said that you don't want to suggest suffering and evil are good or necessary mm-hmm. um, but your talk seems to suggest that maybe suffering and evil is in fact necessarily necessary or ultimately <laughs> good. uh is is that contradictory
1: that's a very good question that's a good good point i'll have to think about that possibly there's a possible i suppose i don't want to say and i think this is the thing that um that God necessarily needed to use suffering to bring about his purpose. Although, although maybe, although maybe I will say that in a, in a later point, but I suppose we also need to re- be reminded that suffering is still bad. Naomi didn't say, Oh God has made my life bitter. Oh, and isn't that great. Uh, she still recognizes that there is a bitterness and a reality to the bitterness of life. Um, and, and I think sometimes we can just sort of over say that, well, because you know, it's really, it's not really bitterness because it actually leads to the promise problem, the um the the purposes of god etc i think we still want to acknowledge that there's still something that is intrinsically wrong about it i suppose i'm i, I, I so it's a very astute comment and, and maybe there's a sense of which that i've kind of done that and but i suppose that's in some ways that way that god has used suffering he does use it for his purposes mm-hmm. but in, but i suppose the difference is that he doesn't call it therefore necessary or good um, and i think that's the danger of that argument i don't think the argument necessarily says that to say that you know suffering is necessary for character development although it, well maybe it does um but i think that it um uh but i think i'm just trying to avoid trying to turn um uh what something that is intrinsically evil into something that we actually then say was actually really a good and it wasn't really evil in the first place so maybe that needs to be teased out a bit perhaps in the, in the coming weeks but that's a very good question and i do appreciate that and i'll reflect on that more um, as we come up, yeah. So thank you, for, thank you for that question. I think it's very good.
0: And yeah, thanks. Well, we'll look forward to hearing you continue to grapple with that over the coming weeks. Uh, and speaking of the coming weeks, you are back next week. And uh, next week, Jesus versus natural evil. Um, why do we want to come back? Uh, why, what would we pitch to our friends uh, to say you should definitely tune in because it's going to be uh, a really excellent talk? What are we looking at?
1: Well, we're going to look at where Jesus starts to confront some of the so-called natural evil of the world, like. Uh, disease sickness um and uh you know things like earthquakes etc why is that all happening um so I, again i think if you're intrigued in understanding the relationship between god and suffering then come back because we're going to continue this this conversation and I, I find this this next talk i think is fascinating. i mean i as i said when i went through this reflection uh this particular passage that i come we're going to look at next week when i looked at it uh, in light of reading the Bible through the eyes of suffering, in light of my, my mother's passing, I think this was one that really jumped out at me. And so I thought, wow, Jesus actually acknowledges this problem is real. He's, I think he's possibly even aware of the problem of evil uh, itself as a philosophical problem or a philosophical construct. And I think he actually unpacks it in a, in a passage we'll look at next week.
0: Well, thanks, Rob. Thanks for uh, taking us uh, through this uh, this passage today. Thank you, everyone, for joining. Uh, we will be back again next week, uh, one o'clock to 1.30 or thereabouts. Uh, and so, until then, have a great week, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us. Thank you.